today on Ag News Daily. We've seen some adjustments on the, the soybean side already this year. Um, we know there's more going on soybean-wise in South America and Chinese trade. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm Mike Pearson, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? I am pretty good, Mike. I'm actually stuffed to the gills with pizza ranch pizza. So for our listeners that live within the Midwest, I'd say they know what pizza ranch is, but maybe some of our listeners that don't live in the Midwest don't know what pizza ranch is, but it's really, I mean, the pizza is really not that great in my opinion. I really go for the chicken, the fried chicken. All right. And every politician who comes to Iowa goes to Pizza Ranch. That's, yes. I think, really what it's known for. Did you run into any presidential candidates? No, no presidential candidates today, Mike. But I did see that Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders were in Iowa this weekend. Oh, have anything new to say? I don't can't tell you I paid any attention to what they said. Just knew they were in the area. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to have a lot of that. We've got, uh, what, two, three weeks yet before the Iowa yes. caucuses, first in the nation, when uh, that Democratic race will start to shake out a little bit. Yes, it will. But, Mike, we had actually quite a bit of news also this weekend going on. We, of course, know the Golden Globes were this weekend, and they uh, didn't have any meat as part of their course, which, uh, you sugge- which you shared previously on the podcast, but I was listening to uh, their... Uh, MC, and he was basically making fun of all of them and telling them not to get up on the stage and make a soapbox speech about not eating meat because he's like, most of you guys are going to go eat meat afterwards. You're going to run your limos through the uh, drive through at McDonald's or Taco Bell. So Ricky Gervais uh, kind of made fun of a lot of them. But even bigger news than that, Mike, I think, was what happened on 60 Minutes over the weekend. Did you have a chance to see this? I didn't see it. I, You know, I haven't tuned into 60 Minutes in 100 years. Right. Not since, you know, I, probably last time I was at my grandparents' house. <laughs> I don't know exactly how relevant 60 Minutes is anymore, but you're right. Leslie Stahl did an in-depth piece on the pork industry, and I, I haven't seen it. I've just read recaps. Delaney, have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet either. I've also just read recaps and... The people I'm with today are pork producers, work in the pork industry, so we've had a chance to kind of dissect and discuss it. Basically, the 60 Minutes, as you mentioned there, Mike, was uh, Leslie Stahl looking at our antibiotics being overused in specifically the pork industry and because of using so much antibiotics within the pork industry, are we making our animals antibiotic resistant to bacteria, more specifically like salmonella and and I think the documentary, or the 60 Minutes, like I said, I haven't seen it fully, but from what I understand, it basically points fingers at the ag industry saying, it's your fault we had the salmonella outbreak, what, in 2015, I believe Mm -hmm. that was, And, and so they really are just kind of trying to place the blame on them. They did have the National Pork Producers Veterinarian came on, but from what I've gathered, he really didn't get to answer questions that he wanted to answer and it was very directed questions you know questions that kind of put you in a trap so to speak so it's seemed very one-sided yeah yeah that's the the gist i've got folks you can uh just google up 60 minutes uh pork production you can read a full transcript or watch the clip on the internet um they're at the cbs.com website and yeah it 
definitely reading through the transcript, it does appear to be as if they went in with a thesis they were going to prove regardless. And uh, this has certainly caused a, a lot of blowback in the uh, in the industry. I mean, it's certainly it's got a lot of pork producers fired up. I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter about it this morning. And yeah, folks are thrilled with it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely some journalistic bias if I've ever seen some. Yeah, that I think is exactly the truth. So it was a, it was a busy weekend for Animal Ag. Yes, it, it sure was, and not in a good way, Mike. Well, not in a good way, but yeah, it's well, no, you're right, definitely not in a good way. Definitely not. But let's move on maybe to some more uh, upbeat news. I don't know. Do you have anything great to share with us today? Well, we got some news that uh, that might be bullish the corn market here a little bit longer term. There was a report out by FC Stone that uh, they anticipate that Brazil's Rio Grande del Sol, the uh, the third largest grain producing state in Brazil, has been hit hard by drought, and they anticipate their corn production to drop from six million metric tons to four point eight million metric tons coming out of that state. And so they say, with the damage in Rio Grande do Sul, uh, they expect to see the first crop corn production in Brazil drop just about three and a half percent. From initial projections and um, you know that uh, that is certainly something to keep an eye on there that certainly is and it, it might help a little bit if brazil has less crop to export it could help the u.s china trade deal we saw some didn't really see any new news on that to report other than the you know january 15th date but we have seen some new news come to light as far as the USMCA agreement is concerned. Of course, Congress is back this week from their holiday break. And one of the first things that's at the top of their agenda is, of course, discussing USMCA and hopefully seeing that passed in the Senate. We are going to see another step towards ratification happen Tuesday morning when the Senate Finance Committee is scheduled to consider the House passed implement, implementing bill. But according to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he said he's not sure when exactly it will officially be taken up on the Senate floor, but White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro told Fox Business over the weekend that he's expecting to see the measure passed before the end of the week. Oh, wow. So they're not going to wait for this impeachment thing. They're just going to run right through it. Well, I, I mean, I guess we'll wait and see. Congress is saying one thing and the Trump administration is saying another. So I guess wait and see for sure. But hopefully this thing just passes and goes on through with flying colors. Yeah, let's get it done, Congress. Let's get some certainty out there in these markets, especially ahead of the January 15th prospective signing of the phase one of the U.S.-China deal, which uh, does seem to, at least looking at the market's movements today, compared to Friday at least, it seems like we've got some more confidence that that's going to happen. China over the weekend did confirm they will be sending a delegation over to sign the agreement on the 15th. So now we've got confirmation that uh, at least some folks from the Chinese government will be here to get that thing signed and uh, put into place. All right. Well, that is great news for U.S. agriculture. Well, it's not bad news. It's not you bad know? news. I guess it's, it, I mean, you know, it really is going to be wait and see if China does follow through in their purchases. And, and you know, one of the things we talked about last week, you know, China's not going to have a dedicated number that they're committing to purchase in this agreement, at least not one that is being made public. Right. So we'll just have to wait and see what they actually end up pulling the trigger on because their plan is still to buy when it makes economic sense to do so, which I think as we look at the markets that, you know, we're most, 
excited to have them back in being soybeans and pork. In both cases, I, I think you can make a pretty strong economic argument that it would be profitable for China to step in and uh, get some purchases on the books. Absolutely. But because we still don't know what China is going to buy and when, we've seen some economists forecast this year's 2020 profits. And Chad Hart, who we've had on the podcast before there at Iowa State University, was quoted in saying that he thinks this year's U.S. farm profitability is going to come down to a couple of factors, including weather and whether the U.S. can, in fact, increase farm exports. He also went on to say that he believes the Trump administration will provide another round of trade assistance to growers until we really do see how clear it is about the purchase amounts that China will buy as part of this phase one trade agreement. Interesting. So that's coming from Chad Hart there at Iowa State University. We do have an update also on 2020 profitability from the folks over at Farm Doc Daily from the University of Illinois. They are not counting on any sort of MFP payment, at least in their initial projections. And they do say that they are looking ahead using uh, trend yields. They're figuring a corn price of $3.90 per bushel and a bean price of $9 per bushel with, uh, with no insurance payments or uh, MFP payments. They figure we're going to see a negative $17 per acre return for corn and a negative $58 per acre for soybeans in the state of Illinois. Okay, so we're seeing some mixed uh, mixed forecasts here. So I think really the thing is don't, don't uh, bank anything on having another round of trade assistance. I wouldn't put all your eggs in that basket. Well, and that's the trouble. You know, the government giveth, the government can taketh away. And uh, we just we just have no idea if another one's going to come. In an election year, I got mm -hmm. a feeling that, that Chad Hart's probably right. If we do have continued uh, economic troubles in rural America, I think the Trump administration will pull every string it can to make sure farmers get something. But uh, who knows the size and scope of it before, uh, you know, I guess you're right. We shouldn't count our chicks before they hatch, so to speak. No, we should not. Mike, I am, I think, all out of news for today. Do you have anything else that our listeners should be aware of? Well, the only thing I've got is a note from the Federal Register, and uh, this is basically the Atrazine Preliminary Interim Decision coming from the EPA. Uh, basically, the EPA came out and they said we are going to continue to use credible scientific research to set reasonable aquatic ecosystem LOCs, or levels of concern, for atrazine. Uh, the National Corn Growers came out and said they appreciate this. They think this is a reasonable approach. Um, this is good news for growers that do continue to use use atrazine. As of right now, they say the uh, the LOC, that level of concern, is 15 parts per billion over a 60-day average in water. So that's what they're looking at is, is how much atrazine can we get into the water. And uh, it looks like the EPA is, is standing be behind the use of quality science, which, which is a win. Um, so we'll just have to continue watching it. Uh, basically, we got a 60-day comment period now on this PID, the uh, which stands for Preliminary Interim Decision. Sorry, so many acronyms, I can hardly keep them all straight. Um, and if you are a grower that uses atrazine, uh, log in to the or just head over to the EPA's website, and uh, you can explain on there in a comment how you use atrazine, why it's important to your operation, and you know why the EPA should consider to uh, continue to consider scientific backed studies in making these decisions. Well, hopefully they take science on their side, take it into account, and make a yeah. decision off that. 
Absolutely. Fingers crossed, Delaney. But I tell you, that wraps up my news. We jump in and see what happened in the markets today. Let's do it, Mike. And of course, our markets are sponsored by agmarket.net. I wanted to make sure we shared this on today's podcast. They are putting together their first annual conference. Very exciting. It's going to be February 3rd and 4th in Council Bluffs, Iowa. So find out more information on their mar- on their website, agmarket.net. But it's going to be a great lineup of speakers, a lot of great information, and we encourage you to check that out. Fantastic. Get on there and check it, folks. Let's check it and see where the markets ended today. We've got a little weakness in corn. Beans ended up, but well off their session highs, and wheat also down on the day. In the corn market, the March contract was down one and three quarters at 384 and three quarters. May was off one and a half to finish at 391 and a half. Soybeans, January contract. Why am I reading the January? Well, yeah, yeah, well, let's go to no. Let's go to March. Sorry. March contract up three and a quarter at 944 and three quarters. November new crop up two and a half to finish at 974 even. In wheat, the March contract down four and a half cents at 555. Yeah, 550 even. The May down four to close at 553 and three quarters. Looking over at livestock, big moves to the upside today in the cattle complex. February live cattle up $2.55, closed at 127.2750. April up to 42.50, finished at 128.10. And feeders also continued that run. The January contract up $4.75, closed at 147.4250. March up three dollars 67 and a half cents at 146.35 looking over in lean hogs we've got mixed trade today with the february up seven and a half cents closed at 68.62 half april down 20 cents to close at 74.95 we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry we did have a piece of news that borden's the second largest milk processor uh is going to file for bankruptcy earlier today didn't have much impact on prices but the january contract was up 4 cents at 1697 and the feb was down a penny to close at 1701 next up it's market monday All right. Well, for today's conversation, we're speaking with market strategist Dan Hussey here of Zaner Ag Hedge. Dan, let's talk a little bit about, well, let's start with Friday's action. Looking at the end of last week, we had the markets really sell off, particularly we saw the soybean market take it on the chin. What was happening? Yeah, we had a flight to safety uh, that affected, I think, the broader markets uh, in general going into this weekend and and coming out of it. Um, and, And into last weekend, we saw that flight to safety. And in a sense that it could affect U.S. exports, perhaps. And anything you know, infrastructure-related or trade-related uh, in wartime becomes, you know, might be put on the back burner when all of a sudden there's a flight to safety and a flight to quality that's happening in the broader market. You saw gold rally, crude rally, and really uh, a lot softer uh, soybean, hog, and uh, really almost all the agriculture markets were, were softer into last week's close. Um, the price action we saw in the soybeans was uh, certainly a little uh, dis- disenchanting uh, to the fact that we, we were making new highs and pushing you know, what looked like through that 960 threshold uh, in the, or could have. You know, we were attempting to push through the 960 threshold in the beans only to reverse here uh, into last, the end of last week um, and falling that uh, 20 cents down to 940 level. Um, a key supportive level that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but uh, it was uh, certainly um, um, 
certainly a little disheartening, but uh, not the end of the world for, for the uptrend. Well, that's the thing, not the end of the world, and we saw that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw the markets pretty well across the board. Soybeans rallied coming into the middle of the day session. I had a little bit of a setback, but what changed? I mean, we're still possibly looking at a hostile confrontation in Iran. We're still not entirely sure where we lie geopolitically. We don't have uh, any confirmation of the phase one deal being signed on the 15th. We've got the WASD report coming up here on Friday. What changed in the trade's mindset? Why was today a little more bullish? You know, today I think might have been a little more bullish from, you know, more of a technical reaction off of some of the levels we've seen. Um, soybeans did have a strong pullback, but ultimately we just pulled back into the levels we broke out from and grinded against into the end uh, of, of the year. Um, the new highs that we made in January were actually, a, from a technical perspective, um, a confirmation of an outside, uh, an outside uh, upside reversal in the monthly candles for the soybeans. Uh, so seeing a little correction against that is a little bit technical in nature. So. All those geopolitical and all those bigger things going on uh, outside of a signing of a phase one trade deal and getting you know, a, a true answer to the demand question that's been uh, rocking this market for the last uh, year, or over a year now, but uh, let's just call it the last year. Um, seeing that you know, this sell-off only to- pulled back into technical levels, you know, seeing a little bit of a back and fill price action against some of that selling, you know, a, a relief rally, if you will, today uh, was certainly a good start uh, off of what could be a pretty supportive level. Um, but uh, to, to you know, kind of answer your question of what's really changed between last week and today, nothing uh, ultimately. And that's why I, I, I turned and went right to technicals because at the end of the day, not much fundamentally has changed in our agricultural markets over the last couple weeks with the exception of maybe a phase one deal being signed. Right. Um, you know, if we had some, you know, certainly there's weather concerns in Australia and Brazil uh, that are, are starting to come to light. Um, you know, I think those would be more beneficial for corn from what we've seen in those regions and, this, and, and the second crop of corn maybe being, uh, you know, having as much of a, what, I think we're looking at 3%. Yeah, production. three and a half total, I yeah. Mean, that's about the biggest fundamental news we've had in the last few days um, ahead of this report. So. Position squaring, technical moves, uh, fund fund flows. Those are the things then then you know I'm looking at as, as to some of the rationale of what happened over the last 48 hours in these markets, and how to kind of respond to it. Well, speaking of how to respond to things, let's talk a little bit about Friday's uh, WASDE report. We've got mm-hmm. USDA releasing the World Agricultural Supply and Demand estimates. We also have them releasing quarterly grain stocks in addition to crop production and, and winter wheat seedings. But on the, the WASDE and the quarterly grain stocks, Dan, how should producers with old crop corn be getting prepared for this report on Friday? You know, corn is the market where I think we all feel these reports have the biggest or could have the biggest bang for your buck um, in terms of you know the propensity to move. Reason being is we've seen some adjustments on the, the soybean side already this year. Um, we, we know there's more going on soybean-wise with South America and Chinese trade. So bringing the conversation back to corn into this report I think is the right thing to do and to focus on because um, you've, got, uh, you've got quarterly uh, estimates on top of the WASDE report, which We'll see. And, you know, to take a, to take a note out of uh, Ted Seifried, one of our other markets, our head market strategists here's playbook. Um, you know, he's he's brought up a good point today that 
we might be overdoing it in terms of analyst expectations into this report on Friday. Getting a little too bullish? Yes, but the market isn't behaving that way. The sell-off in the little softer trade we had today um, wasn't indicative of that. You know, I would agree with that notion, I think, if we were seeing the same type of rally we had in the summertime, into the summertime reports, where we were all very overly optimistic and talking about $5 corn, I don't see calls and analyst expectations for, for pushes above $4 really at this point. I think people are really, the wall of worry is setting in. And if that's the case, bull markets historically climb that wall of worry and we might just be seeing some position squaring, technical moves like we saw in the soybeans and the wheat uh, happening in the corn in the last couple of days. And so how do you position with some of that old crop corn into uh, this report? Doesn't hurt to you know look at locking in a floor in price. Puts are pretty cheap down at these would levels. Would you go short dated puts uh, just to cover you through this week, or would you go ahead and spend the money on something a little longer term? No, I would go short dated. Remember, we're talking you know buying a put is buying an insurance policy, and insurance policies have two are coming you know two sides of that sort. There's one the amount of time you need that policy to cover and how much you need to cover it for. Uh, we, we don't often consider that may, sometimes with options, if we're buying insurance, we're buying too much insurance because maybe we only want that protection through this report uh, and through any volatility that might happen in the next few days. Well, a February option gives you about 18 days of coverage for pretty much no time value in that option that you'd be paying for a full dated March or, or going further out. Um, so instead of thinking about your crop and storage and, and wanting to protect it through you know, further out, you might you know, work with your work with uh, your guy or, or your account to to get a short dated option to not have as much time value to get you that insurance just through a volatile event like this report. Uh, you know, in this coming week, so you know, picking up an option that's five cents out of the money is going to cost you next to nothing to get that that protection uh, for just a little bit of time you need it. Now, let's talk about soybeans come Friday. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you anticipating any major changes in, uh, in soybean, either in quarterly stocks or in the ag supply and demand outlook? Yes, and I've been anticipating more changes on the balance sheet since August. So, um, and not getting them has, I think, been every analyst's frustration. Um, or at least getting some kind of indication from the USDA of why are we not acknowledging some of the widely talked about issues going on with our crops. Whether it's you know low test weights for corn, or uh, you know is the actual soybean yields or acreage, um, I definitely think that the USDA has kicked the can down the road strategically, um, because in a late planting year, a late harvest year that has been surrounded by this much geopolitical drag, um, there's a political element here that the USDA needs to put on a strong front as an organization to also not put out information. Um, you know, you know uh, what do you call it? Ahead of, are you know, without properly vetting or giving it enough time to sure. really see. They want to be accurate. Absolutely, accuracy, absolutely. So, you know, if I was, a, I think it, if I was a USDA analyst, it'd be incredibly hard this year to put a put a put a put a um, put a pin on put a pin in the numbers. So, I, I understand some of the hesitancy and why maybe we've seen them drag on. However, um, it is high time we see that um, some correction or at least some some explanation in, in some of the verbiage in the report as to why we haven't seen any uh, balance sheet updates. And I'm just hoping this isn't the type of year where we don't see anything and this time next year we see a big correction. Right. You know, a big right. look back, which we have seen them do in the last few years. And 
Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if this is going to be one of those years, though. Okay, because, you know, theoretically, for our listeners who aren't uh, up to date on the USDA's arcane way of reporting different things, theoretically, this January report is the final number yes. for the 1920 growing season. However, it, uh, excuse me, 1819. It's, it's the final published number. However, it, it is open to revisions. Yes, for it can be an extended period of time. Usually revised for, you know, yeah, sometimes a year or more. And we've, I think we saw one multi, five years back recently. I mean, at least. We've seen a few recently yeah. of strange revisions, but nevertheless, um, yeah, they leave it open, leave that door open a little bit. On the winter wheat side, we get winter wheat plantings also mm -hmm. on Friday. Are you anticipating there? I know Ted Seifert has said he expects to see you know larger plantings on pretty much all classes of winter wheat. Is that the same camp you're in? I think so. I think that if you are the last few last year, the last year and a half for winter wheat has been um, a very very tumultuous time. Uh, we we had. You know, big production. Uh, we had global supply issues or, or demand issues, uh, or supply. Excuse me. We had global supply gluts. Um, we also had a strong U.S. dollar. That's that's kind of hurt our export market. But we're seeing uh, we're seeing some of that come back now. Um, at the end of the day, however, uh, I think winter wheat plantings will be on the rise this year, uh, as there will be a chase. Uh, you know, that taste in your mouth to have to chase yield. Uh, in this type of market, um, where you don't have the best prices historically, uh, and you're just going to try to get the best yield and high, largest production possible. Um, on the back of, if you are looking at charts and been following uh, some of the inner dynamics of the wheat complex, winter wheat and the hard red winter wheat to Chicago wheat spreads uh, have all started to reverse somewhat, and we've seen. Uh, we've seen that hard winter wheat uh, lead the rally, actually, in the ags over the last couple weeks. Um, so I'm curious to see if this tumultuous uh, narrowing, technically, or it, the spread got wider from where it was, but it's a narrowing because it got further negative. Um, the spread went wildly negative, which mm -hmm. historically is not, um, uh, not the case. I mean, as, as much as a dollar uh, discount to buy uh, you know, hard red winter wheat to the Chicago um, when there's a protein premium involved in this market, um, you have to ask yourself why that was. Well, uh, we might be seeing some of the dynamics reversing that trend. And if that's the case, and hard red winter wheat is going to be leading the way, that might be one of those uh, you know, kind of springtime, uh, springtime bonuses this year that, uh, that ends up really patenting the coffers because it could be the leader or continue to be the leader of the pack because we've had such a long-standing trend and push really through historic levels that's now starting to snap back. And if it comes back to some level of normalcy, um, you know, the, the, the uh, chasing those winter wheat yields this year might actually pay off. Well, Dan, thanks for taking the time to chat with us here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Listeners, if you want more of Dan's insight, be sure to sign up for the Zaner Ag Hedge newsletter, which you can do on the Zaner.com website, or you can always give him a shout directly. You can reach Dan at 312-277-0110. Thanks again, Dan Hussey. All right. Well, Mike, thank you for grabbing today's Market Monday discussion. Always great to hear what's going on there, especially this week. It's going to be a big one or maybe not a big one with the January 10th report coming out later this week. Absolutely. Friday is the day to watch. We'll, uh, we'll bring up 
the industry updates tomorrow, or the industry expectations on uh, what the trade as a whole is thinking for those reports. That'll be on tomorrow's podcast. But in the meantime, if you want to get caught up on any past episodes, hit up the website, agnewsdaily.com. You can check out our past episodes as well as the episodes of a lot of our fellow podcasters on the Global Ag Network. And as always, find us on social media. Hit us up on Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. With that, Delaney, should we let our listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.